Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to this week's In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey, and I'm normally here with your host, Kim Bellotto, but this week's a little bit different. We've had uh, a devastating hurricane hit the Texas coast, and Kim, you're actually down in Rockport surveying some of the damage to your own home down there, and I wanted to take just a few minutes, and and let's talk about uh, the direct hit that Rockport took. Our friends in Port Aransas have have had a lot of devastation. We'll get into what's going on in Houston here in just a second, but uh, let's talk about Rockport, Kim. What uh, What's going on down there? Well, you know, Alvin, um, first and foremost, um, I think that the, the first thing that I, I hope we can convey is our prayers are with all the people that are being affected in both Rockport, Port Aransas, Corpus Christi. There's a lot of people uh, that have just been devastated by this hurricane, and now, unfortunately, Houston is also being, you know, you know, affected. So our prayers are with everyone. Um, and, uh, I do have some important information I'd like to talk about, but, um, it's, it's just devastated. Uh, you know, Rockport is completely flattened. If you were on the front line, uh, some, some, some restaurants that have been there forever in the boiling pot, uh, Charlotte Plummer restaurant, um, just, they're no longer, uh, operating. If they will reopen, you know, time will tell, but, um, these are, icons for Rockport. Uh, the crab, when you go into uh, Rockport, is gone. is gone. This big blue crab that was up there for forever, you know, it's gone. Um, and of course, they weren't the only uh, little uh, vacation spot that was hard hit. Uh, Port Aransas was hard hit. Um, Portland, um, Bayside, Taft, uh, everyone has been affected. Um, power is out. It's pretty devastating out there. Very little resources. Um, the good thing is, um, you know, President Trump signed immediately uh, a disaster area for those specific areas, and, and we appreciate that. Governor Abbott also jumped in to uh, respond quickly. And because of that, um, as I was heading down there to check on my beach house the day after the storm, so I, I, I was not as brave to weather the storm because we were directly on the water. Our home sits directly on the water. But uh, the next, I think two days later, uh, I, I just needed to get down there and see what was going on. Uh, we could see and we were going up there with convoys of National Guard uh, folks and uh, DPS is out there. Uh, they're doing a great job of making sure that people who live in the area are going in there by ID only. Um, they have curfews, um, you know, after 9 o'clock. You know, you have to have an ID to get back into these areas to, to minimize looting and, and stuff like that. So uh, it seems like a very big disaster is being managed and controlled very well. Uh, FEMA's on it uh, early. Uh, insurance agents are ready. Uh, it's going to take some time to dig out of this, but... It looks like it's managed chaos is the best way of me putting it. Well, and, you know, talk about, you know, the FEMA response and the Texas National Guard is down there. But also, you know, our, our San Antonio grocer, HEB, has deployed I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, of, of equipment and trucks and food and people. And just their, their disaster response has been just amazing. 
Yes, thank you to them. 18 wheelers have been, you know, lining up, loaded down. And so have a lot of companies that have the bucket trucks for electricity. Um, we saw coming back last night uh, from our hotel, back from our house to our hotel, a convoy of these bucket trucks. And, and that's just a fraction of what will be heading to that area over the next uh, over the next weeks to come. Uh, a friend of mine that, that owns a, uh, a, a fishing a, a hotel right on Aransas Bay feels like it's going to be a minimum of two weeks before power is restored. And, you know, who knows how many years it's going to take to rebuild Rockport Aransas Pass, uh, Port Aransas. You know, it, the, the, the millions and billions and billions of, of dollars that it's going to take to rebuild these communities is, is mind-boggling. It is. And I just, you know, there's not a lot of resources. It's a little town, Rockport. Um, and so if you can donate, Red Cross, I know, is accepting donations. Uh, some people are actually uh, loading up vehicles and, and taking them down, even though I'm not sure if they want people going in there or not. But um, check and see. You know, I think Red Cross is one you can donate, and it gets in their blankets, water. Um, they're going to need everything, um, and it's good to see that Texans are getting involved, and they want to help, and there's a lot of companies stepping up and helping this uh, community that's just been devastated. So that's just something you don't take for granted. I know our home alone, which is on Copano Bay, endured two hours straight of 120-mile-an-hour winds. It was amazing that our homes on that uh, road lasted that long, and Rockport was worse. So well, and then, this you know, was not a storm to play around with. No, and, and speaking to, to friends that have properties down there, um, in two instances, uh, you know, one one friend of mine has has a home in uh, Bahia Bay, and his home he lost a little bit of his roof, and the the inside of the home got wet enough to to crumble the the sheetrock in the ceiling, and you know, other than some water damage, and in the place is just that's filthy, exactly what happened with us. Um, other than that, there's not a lot of structural damage to his home, but in talking to him, he says, you know, I, I don't understand this because the home right across the canal is gone. It's in the bay. It blew away. It's gone. I think it had two things. You know, it was gust. If you were in the wrong place at the wrong time when the gusts were hitting even higher, and it might have been also the age of the construction, the construction that was built, um, you know, it, it really does make a difference if it's, you know, structured up to code, wind uh, codes that are now in place and or if it was an old structure that didn't necessarily have that. So Our, our thoughts and our prayers are with the folks in, in the, the Texas Coastal Bend. You know, the, the heart-wrenching part of the whole situation to me is to, to, to see the video that people are posting about the devastation in Rockport and to think that the, the weekend of the eclipse I was down there and some friends and I had... Uh, you, you mentioned Charlotte Plumbers. We had uh, dinner at Charlotte Plumbers, and the picture that I saw where the roof of Charlotte Plumbers is gone is the exact corner of the restaurant that we sat down and had dinner. So, you know, it's just it, it's heart-wrenching to, to see all these, you know, uh, landmarks in Texas, all these historic landmarks that, like Charlotte Plumbers uh, restaurant, you know, places that have been there for, for years and years. The Crab is another one that The Crab, uh, yes, the Crab is gone. It's gone. He's, he's, he's 
he went back to the ocean, I think. <laughs> also, the the personal yeah the personal property of of the landowners and the businesses and just the the economic impact that it's going to have on that town for the next uh, however many years that it takes to rebuild is just is heart wrenching. The the things that folks have lost now. Sure, a lot of people had insurance, but I'm sure there were a lot of people that have lost everything that had nothing, had no insurance and very little to begin with. And you know my my thoughts and my prayers just go out to those people and you know if you if you can donate to the red cross um i think uh, h-e-b and walmart have stepped up and they're they're sending a lot of supplies down there i don't think that i would uh, load up in a truck and head down there and try to do anything yet i'm sure there's going to be opportunities to uh, hey, to swing most a hammer of the hotels, i wouldn't even do that because most of the hotels a lot of them are still without power and those those hotel rooms are being used by people that are being displaced so please if you do not need to be there don't go it is a a mess right now and that's the last thing that anybody needs is people who don't belong there going in there and you just won't even find a place It'll, i can't even imagine what the price of the hotel would be um there's no resources there there's no water there's no electricity so so rather than a, a 50 dollars tank of fuel to go down there and back uh, you know send the red cross 25 bucks that that's going right. to go a lot further than trying to go down there and get in the way and swing a hammer and you know, there's just or pick up. There's just not much you can do physically at this point, other than uh, than than pray. Exactly. And you know, the other part of it is so the storm has now caused this devastation equally as bad in a different way in Houston. You know, uh, Rockport sustained huge amounts of of uh, wind damage and um, and and uh, surges, wave wave surges, but. Houston is just completely underwater, and um, and it's not going to get any better for them. Um, and we have family, and of course, a lot of our operators and partners out there are completely underwater. It's, it's caused the Doug Conference, which normally would be a huge conference here in San Antonio, for all of the operators and service companies to come and attend. It's been canceled as of today. Um, it's it's devastating what's happening in Houston as well. It is a true shame what's happening here in texas as far as just looking at the the uh, amount of uh, devastation that's occurring and the natural disasters that are occurring you know in some of the largest and most visited places in texas absolutely you know? you're listening to in the oil patch my name's alvin bailey and been visiting on the phone with kim Bellato. she's your normal host but she's down on the texas gulf coast right now surveying some damage and uh, kim be safe and we'll see you when you get back to san antonio Thank you, Alvin. Take care. And we'll be right back. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association, who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations, advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong serving independence, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. 
For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at sandis at texasalliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Um, Our guest today is Alan Gilmer, who is the chairman of Drilling Info. Alan, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, this is a real treat for us, Alan, because we, well, you know, I've had Shell Magazine for about five years now, and in the oil and gas industry, everyone knows about Drilling Info, and and there's a real, you know, great reason why this company and your vision has truly set uh, the, the tone, if you will, for how well oil and gas is produced in the way of technology. So before we get into that, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into Drilling Info and what was behind the making and the creation of this amazing company? Well, I was uh, uh, an independent operator and I was always focused on the technology side. I'm a geophysicist by background. And I owned a seismic uh, company that we used to shoot uh, 3D seismic surveys in return for working interest uh, equity and in projects uh, all, all throughout the United States. Uh, my partners that I started drilling info with, we were all independent producers. And so, uh, uh, you know, frankly, it uh, came about over beers. We were sitting there talking about what we really wish we had. And uh, we went out and uh, fortunately knew uh, we lived here in Austin, Texas. We knew some uh, tech folks that were uh, really smart that were uh, uh, facing the end of the tech bubble. And uh, uh, um, we started this company to try to build something that um, hadn't been seen before, but really with the whole idea was to go capture nearly all the data that's available in the industry, uh, you know, on a daily, monthly, quarterly basis on the different styles and to, uh, and kind of create a, uh, uh, create a pulse. You know, the idea being that we wanted to identify experiments when they were happening, uh, successful experiments when they did happen and who had their value changed when it, uh, if a, one of these experiments worked out. So, uh, I think we're, we're, we're still working on, uh, expanding, uh, expanding the capabilities every day. Well, you know, technology is always evolving and that's kind of the point to, I think what drilling info stands for, but I want to, uh, just stop real quick and help our listeners understand the in the way that oil and gas exploration had technically been done for a hundred years is there's a lot of moving parts that really slow down the process that technology drilling info for instance has made 
uh, the process a lot faster and more efficient. Um, some of the technologies that's embedded in, in drilling them for things like before you used to have, uh, and, and it still exists, but it's getting better, uh, man hours and people going to courthouses. And now courthouses now are coming online and um, information is a little bit uh, easier accessed online of, of doing title searches and stuff. Tell me how that technology, how Drilling Info's technology has really sped up the way exploration companies go to market. So you have somebody who has a, a piece of land, they have mineral rights, and then you have a lot of research that takes time, energy, uh, and effort. So how did Drilling Info catch up all of this and put it together? I think the biggest thing we did was uh, uh, kind of uh, un uh, handcuff people from the small areas that they were working. When we first got into the business, if you were not a mid-size uh, oil company or above, if you were a small oil company, you really just worked a small district or a small area because that was all you knew. And uh, so if you're going to make a decision to work a, a railroad county district or a certain part of a state or what have you, you know, you were going to invest a lot of time and effort into learning those things. And data itself was used more as uh, – a way of validating an idea. You had an idea, then you chase the data to go validate it rather than turn it around and say, let's just look at the data and see if I can create any ideas from the data itself. And um, and so we did that. And we also uh, freed people from uh, making what could have been critical mistakes in terms of working a bad district in their life. You know, So your time is your most important resource that you have to invest. And, uh, and as small independent producers, I had the benefit of working all over the country, but I was dependent on the people I was doing business with to give me the information necessary to make my business decision. My partners had always worked little areas because that was really just the benefit. That's all you could really do. And the whole idea was, um, are there better places to invest your time and your money than the area that you're working? And uh, that's really how Drilling Info came about and how we, uh, how we built it out. Uh, your point with regards to the uh, land side as we started uh, looking at uh, just activity, who was leasing where and uh, going to the courthouses physically. And uh, we still actually, you know, uh, I'd say 70% of the courthouses we cover, we still have to go to physically every month. And uh, we started off by just looking to see who was being active and uh, really who were the uh, uh, who were the grantees, you know, not so much interested in all the grantors, but looking at the grantees. And I remember we, uh, we, published out this uh, newsletter in which we showed a leasing direction uh, of, a, of a large independent, and the VP of exploration called me up and asked me who in their office was uh, leaking information to us. <laughs> you know, and all we did was bubble by the instrument date, uh, you know, uh, what they were doing in this particular area. And from there, we, you know, we continue to expand because uh, it's never enough. You know, n nothing you cover is ever enough. And, uh, and, and really what it did, it allowed us to uh, understand what we were doing and then trying to figure out. So today we actually have 200 some odd uh, courthouses in our um, in our courthouse piece, and we're integrate. We've integrated our courthouse uh, uh, system into our drilling info system, so it's all map you know map enabled, and I can take a look at a well. I can take a take a look at a block and uh, be able to click and look at all the documents under it, and it's just really really cool. Right. Well, you know, we we do have mineral rights too. And uh, your product was used, or the company was used, uh, Drilling Info, for, for our map. And I was completely impressed. I'm just truly impressed with 
how you can map out through the software all the different rigs and uh, more or less what's been producing the past data it really helps i think with investors royalty right owners uh, independence, oil and gas companies, leases. It's just amazing what the technology you are, you've created. And of course, where you guys are going is exciting. Uh, we do have to take a real quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Young Women Energized is a free one-night annual event on October 10th for high school girls to learn more about energy and STEM careers and prepare for college. We have programs designed specifically for freshmen, sophomores, junior, seniors, parents, counselors, and educators. We have hands-on exhibits, mentoring tables from companies like BP, Baker Hughes GE, Chenier, and many more. Registration will be live August 25th, and we are currently accepting Women's Energy Network College Scholarship applications through September 25th. Feel free to contact us at H-O-U-Y-W-E at womensenergynetwork.org, or you can find more details at womensenergynetwork.org forward slash Houston and community initiatives. You can follow YWE directly at YWE Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. For more information, go to shellmag.com and click on the Women's Energy Network banner ad. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com, or you can call us, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Alan Gilmore, who is the chairman of Drilling Info. Alan, before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, Drilling Info's product line uh, and more on the upstream part of of how Drilling Info works. But I want to get into more of the midstream area with like pipelines and of course uh, some refining capabilities that the uh, that Drilling Info has to offer. So walk me through a little bit about how uh, Drilling Info works with midstream strategies. Well, that's interesting because this is a, you know, we, we noticed that we had midstream clients. We were all kind of upstream E&P guys. And, uh, uh, you know, our first uh, little bits of analytics that we ever did here were for midstreams uh, when they were looking at doing acquisitions because at the time you could borrow 100% of the capital cost to do midstream acquisitions. And the big deal was whether you were going to actually have enough hydrocarbon running through those to be able to make your, um, you know, make your payments. So the whole goal was to try to find uh, hidden value, uh, areas that were going to have a lot more production coming on than people thought, and so therefore could afford to overbid for an asset. And that was really how we got started in the midstream side. Uh, uh, today we have, you know, pipelines and systems uh, uh, where they're going and uh, who are they, who are they serving. Uh, who the catchment area is, uh, were used uh, by by many many midstream companies today, uh, with regards to keeping up with uh, the the potential clients um, that they may have. And who are they who are they moving their hydrocarbons to? And then with regards to refineries, we've uh, you know as we've evolved as a company, it became very important for us to understand uh, refineries. And so the group that we have. Uh, uh, um, in our analytics group run by uh, Bernadette uh, Johnson up in, uh, in Denver, uh, we really started building out models for the refineries. What were the, the kind of crudes that they need to have in order to maximize their uh, 
their their crack spreads and uh, and then also trying to really predict uh, where where that might have to come from. Uh, you know, where where is the quality of crudes coming so that you can kind of predict uh, whether a certain uh, uh, API band is going to be of high value or lower value in the future. So it's, uh, you know, really looking at this as a holistic system. Um, you know, the midstreams, uh, what they're building and, and uh, the capacities that they have are very important for us to understand uh, with regards to uh, are we going to be, are, are, is our drilling operations going to catch up with or exceed our ability to move uh, move uh, natural gas or crude oil, uh, and those all have very very significant impacts on uh, capital expense uh, expenditures in the country. And and I don't think uh, we've lived for a long time since 1973 in an area in an, in a regime in which we had overcapacity. We had built capacity out to this volume that we maximized in 1973, which has been dropping steadily since then until 2011, and now we're exceeding those capacities that we had. So we're moving into a world in which we're not guaranteed access into a pipeline. We're not guaranteed access uh, into uh, gathering systems, and we're having to build gathering systems in a major, major way uh, that we have not had to do for you know 40 years. Amazing. Well, you know, another thing that I wanted to discuss with you before we move on to world topics is you just launched a brand new app that also has GPS technology. So tell me a little bit about how I, I'm assuming that you have all these different technologies and now your company has created an app that now just brings them all together in one nice little package that you can utilize anywhere um, and you're not having to have an actual computer. It's an, it's an app. So talk to me briefly about the app that you that has just launched. Well, it's really interesting. Uh, Colin Westmoreland, who runs our oil field service segment uh, of our business, is is really kind of the 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 mad genius behind this one. He uh, uh, went out and talked to all of our oil field service clients. You know, talked to a couple hundred clients and said, you know, we understand that you need to be in the field. We understand uh, uh, the needs that you have over there. And then he basically kind of set out this whole framework uh, for us to move in. We knew that we had to have a mobile presence, uh, but we wanted to have a mobile presence that really took advantage of the tools that you actually have on a smartphone. And, uh, and, and we also needed to make sure that it integrated very cleanly with our what you see online when you're in your sitting at your desk so that it's not two different worlds that they're that they're integrated the work that you do on one can show up in the other and what have you and so there's a lot of data intelligence gathering aspects for it uh, in there there's a lot of tools for companies to use in order to gather uh, uh, competitor intelligence uh, themselves and uh, kind of maintain that within their own system in which that is their data and and held uh, held by them but that we help uh, enable a lot of the analytics behind it and their ability to collect, uh, capture that data. And, you know, just uh, I've got a lot of friends that are in the ENP side that said that they love it as well. So uh, it's one of those things where uh, uh, it continues to evolve. But we, we have probably the most aggressive release schedule of any tech company in the oil patch today. Every month we have a major uh, tech release, both on our app side and uh, on our online side. Well, there you go. Amazing stuff going on at Drilling Info. Alan, we do have to take a real quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. You know, great companies take great care of their employees. 
Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Alan Gilmer, who is the chairman of Drilling Info. Alan, before the break, we were talking a lot about what Drilling Info has really been doing to innovate the oil and gas sector. But I do want to switch gears a little bit because you're also, um, along with having this amazing company that's such a visionary company, you also, though, are an expert in the area of oil and gas. And so I want to move into the area of uh, your thoughts on uh, real world topics such as, um, you know, Permian Basin. It's very hard not to hear Permian Basin is just exploding. There's so much going on out there. Uh, it's, most of it is amazing. Uh, they're having their growing pains as well, just like the Eagle Ford and other shell plays uh, we've heard in the past. So talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on what's happening in the Permian Basin right now. Well, the Permian Basin, uh, some work that we've done here suggests the Permian Basin has kind of at least four times the amount of recoverable, economically recoverable uh, oil as Saudi Arabia. And it could be as high as eight times. So whoa, it's, it's, whoa, it's a whoa, massive... wait, wait, wait. Let me, I want you to say that again. Four <laughs> times to eight four times? Four times the amount. Probably close to a trillion barrels, uh, maybe as high as two trillion barrels of recoverable hydrocarbon, which means we'll probably never produce the last... Uh, economic barrel of hydrocarbon from the Permian Basin. It's a massive resource. And, and, and as such, you know, my argument would be that if you've got this kind of resource, why would we not be looking at this as a sustainable resource? I mean, clearly, uh, what, what humans are going to be using for energy three or 400 years from now is going to be a better source of energy even than oil and gas and not just some forced deal. So I'm, I'm not sure that oil and gas should be looked at as this kind of a finite resource. We've uh, always been very terrible at, at predicting how much we had. And um, so really, we've looked at this and it's just an incredible resource base. The tax ramifications are amazing to the state of Texas and New Mexico. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, and and has a huge impact with regards to manufacturing and industrial capacity in the United States itself. So it's just a, 
uh, we are blessed. And that that whole concept that you've heard from this uh, you know this presidential administration about you know energy dominance is uh, is is predicated on on this asset that we have, this stacked tiramisu of goodness in the Permian Basin. Well, and I want to kind of just discuss the Permian Basin because uh, maybe maybe not all of our listeners quite understand, you know, where the Permian Basin sits and how it lies between Texas and New Mexico border. And it's just that large that it's basically covering, not covering the entire state, but it bleeds into two different states. And of course... Um, when you look at those amount of resources that we have, um, it, it's a good thing to recognize, of course, that through oil and gas, royalty, permitting, regulation, the state of Texas and the way it is set up is creates a lot of, it's a tax base for, for the state. And so this is a really good thing for the future, however long we are uh, energy dependent on oil and gas. Um, so thinking about that there are four to eight Saudi Arabia's inside of the Permian Basin in Midland, Texas is, is kind of mind-boggling um, to think about that maybe uh, the thought that um, the whole Middle East crisis and, and how those things play out into the real world uh, when you look at how we need oil and gas. And, 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 we, and you don't need to go very far, Alan, because we just saw this happening in San Antonio uh, when uh, Hurricane Harvey came through, that there was a shortage of, of, of oil at the gas pumps. And, and, and it was not really that we were running out of oil, but you saw a panic happen within San Antonio that people were lining up. It kind of reminded me of when I was a child and I lived in Houston. And there were 10 miles long for, for uh, gas lines to try to get gas. Um, it, it, it is an important resource for now, uh, the one that we truly rely on um, for almost everything uh, we do in our life and all of the luxuries we have. And uh, so to know that Texas and uh, the United States has plenty of, of energy resources, I think helps put my mind at ease anyway, that hopefully, um, you know, mi- the Middle East and all of the drama and all of the uh, imp- all of the stuff that happens in the Middle East may not necessarily uh, be such an issue for us sometime in the future with all the resources we have here. Absolutely. I think the United States will never be held geopolitically hostage to oil and gas ever again, or to energy ever again. Uh, I agree with you. Now, I, I want to talk about um, other shell plays uh, before we move on to the topic of natural gas. Um, how do you think that the other shell plays, uh, Eagle Ford, um, the Bakken, um, Utica, how are all these other shell plays basically doing stacked up to Permian Basin or, or are there any winners or, or, or struggling shell plays that you can think of? Well, I think that, you know, the thing to think about the Permian Basin is, is it really is about 10 or 11 shale plays all stacked on top of each other. And uh, if you go down to the, if you go to the Eagleford, we have two or three. And, uh, and, and there are very many of those that are quite economic and, uh, and, and certainly swing uh, within their weight class with regards to that. So there's not going to be, uh, that, it's not going away. Um, what you're going to see in the Barnett or up in the Abakan, which is more of a, there's still two or three of these over there, is that you're seeing more of a consolidation of operations. And what you're going to generally see is people that are really working on trying to reduce the cost of of, of both their propent and their liquids and what have you. And uh, you're seeing some, uh, some you know, I, what I say, the the evolution of the business into more of an industrial process in each of these areas and uh, and all of them are doing it and it's uh, it's fantastic it actually uh, 
in, in the negative aspect of it, depending on how you look at it, is I don't think we'll ever see $100 oil again. Uh, the positive aspect is that every year our break-evens drop, and so today, you know, at you know forty-five or fifty-dollar break-evens, there's a pretty straight line to getting thirty-dollar break-evens in the next five, six, seven years. Very good. Well, Alan, we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we will be right back. Young Women Energized is a free one-night annual event on October 10th for high school girls to learn more about energy and STEM careers and prepare for college. We have programs designed specifically for freshmen, sophomores, junior, seniors, parents, counselors, and educators. We have hands-on exhibits, mentoring tables from companies like BP, Baker Hughes GE, Chenier, and many more. Registration will be live August 25th, and we are currently accepting Women's Energy Network College Scholarship applications through September 25th. Feel free to contact us at H-O-U-Y-W-E at womensenergynetwork.org, or you can find more details at womensenergynetwork.org forward slash Houston and community initiatives. You can follow YWE directly at YWE Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. For more information, go to shellmag.com and click on the Women's Energy Network banner ad. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Alan Gilmer, who is the chairman of Drilling Info. Alan, before the break, we were talking about U.S. Shell Place, Permian Basin. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about natural gas the supply and demand aspect of natural gas. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on uh, that whole topic of natural gas. Yeah, you know, natural gas and oil are not decoupled. They're not two different things, really, and, and two different worlds. Uh, you know, so much of our natural gas is is produced as associated natural gas, and that is associated with production of oil production because it's the drive mechanism. So in some ways, it's nearly even a byproduct. And, um, and so uh, we think that natural gas today is underpriced relative to what it should be, although, you know, the weather determines fun- fundamentally. But uh, the reality is, is that we don't we're not producing enough associated gas to clear the markets. Uh, at the at the dollar price that we have for natural gas at under three dollars an MCF, so we think that the price of natural gas is going to have to be in kind of the three fifty to three fifty to four range over time, and uh, uh, in order to uh, continue to uh, uh, drive markets here, and the demand for natural gas in the United States is going up strongly. I mean, it's a really wonderful uh, product that we have here. You know, it's and it's got all the petrochemical uses and what have you. So. Uh, uh, you know, but but on the other hand, you know, the, the price of natural gas could go to zero, and we'd still increase the production in the Permian from natural gas just because of the associated nature of it. Right. Well, now you were talking about the natural gas price needing to rise in order for it to really be, I think, uh, an uh, economic windfall for gathering natural gas and of course selling it. But when do you see or do you see the prices of natural gas rising? I mean, we have had a lot of natural disasters as of recently. And is that going to come into play with possibly uh, increasing natural gas in any way? Probably not directly. I mean, the the natural gas has typically gone up in value uh, when we've had big hurricanes out in the Gulf of Mexico, and we shut in a lot of the production capacity out there. That was when we were really exposed to huge amounts of point production in the Gulf of Mexico. Today, we're very distributed throughout the United States, so we don't have that same response mechanism that we had in the past. 
I think that uh, in general, what's going to happen is if we have a cold winter, we're you know the price of natural gas is going to go way up. If we have a warmer winter, it's going to stay kind of stalled in this in this zone right here. So it's really, are we going to revert to maybe the mean with regards to our winters? And if we do, uh, then I do think that we feel very bullish on natural gas prices. Okay, interesting. So. One of the topics I wanted to just talk to you about briefly was OPEC as well, because you do have some opinions on how they've been reacting as of um, as of the last couple of years when, when shell plays have kind of taken off in the U.S. Um, they've really struggled. And so I want to talk to you about your opinion on how OPEC has handled um, the growth in the United States on shell plays. The last two times in Saudi Arabia has um – let the markets determine the price. It was hugely uh, detrimental to Saudi Arabia, and that was in 1986, and then again in 2014. So, uh, I th I think that Saudi Arabia is a swing producer. When you talk about OPEC, you're really talking about Saudi Arabia, and uh, and we really have to ask ourselves: Is does an organization that basically mandates uh, production levels in such a way that it bankrupts their 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 membership? Uh, I'm not sure how effective an organization that is. I think the world has to change with regards to uh, how it bids out blocks, what its expectations are and takes. I mean, uh, and unfo unfortunately, I don't think that the producing world outside the United States has any experience or capability in terms of changing the way that they've done things. They've they've been they've gotten very fat and lazy in, uh, in, in the way things have happened in the last uh, 60 years where we were supply constrained and today we're demand constrained. And the world is changing. The United States is changing along with it and the rest of the world is not. That makes perfect sense when, when you really think about how come they have not really changed very much over the years, but yet you see the United States just evolving with technology and, and infrastructure and lowering their cost to produce a well or, or bring to market oil and gas. It's, it's, it is amazing. You can basically see it. But of course, I think that's kind of who we are as the United States. Um, and, and so then the last segment I want to talk to you about quickly is I do believe that real leaders um, giving back and uh, supporting organizations uh, and donating time with expertise is really important. So I wanted to talk about one of the organizations that you are currently the president of, which is TIPRO, Independence Producers and Royalty Owners Association, which is kind of the organization that looks more from an, a standpoint of the royalty right owner, mineral right owners. Um, so tell me a little bit about that organization. TIPRO was founded in uh, the late 1940s. It's the oldest state organization focused on independent production. And uh, and it also has the added benefit of uh, of representing royalty owners, which in my mind are a, an amazing, uh, impor amazingly important uh, cohort of the whole oil and gas industry. And uh, I think that the, the better the relationships between royalty owners and producers, the, the better the world is. And uh, the more knowledgeable independent producers and royalty owners both are, the better the world is. And that's why I really uh, take my hat off to the efforts that you're doing in terms of education and, uh, and making uh, knowledge available to people so that they can uh, choose not to be willfully ignorant about this industry. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, the, the mineral right and, and royalty right owners, um, you know, when they're treated fair by whether it's a publicly traded or an independent, um, it's a good lease that they've received. It really is a changer for their world, for their family. And I'm really happy to see that there isn't a whole lot of negative publicity and or 
litigation going on, it, it pretty much seems as much is going on in the way of all of the U.S. Shell plays, uh, there sure are a lot more happy folks with the the fair shake that they received from the oil and gas industry pertaining to giving them uh, a good lease than not. And so, you know, I don't necessarily know if it has always been this way, but, you know, with technology and the Internet, you would definitely hear it if there was a problem. And so um, it's, it's great to hear that uh, if the mineral rights owners, mineral right owners are happy along with the oil and gas industry. Well, that's a great partnership there. And it looks like uh, the industry has achieved that. Alan, I'd like to thank you for being a guest today on the show. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about drilling info and of course, giving us your expert opinion on where we are in oil and gas today. Thank you so much. Well, that's all the time we have for this show. Be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show. And follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's going to wrap up another great show, and we'll see you next week with more exciting and insightful interviews. Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.